Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. The remainder of us, you might like to uh, open up your Bibles. If you're opening your Bibles, the traditional way of flicking through pages, you might like to find the contents page and then flick over about 400, in between 400 and 450 pages, and you'll find 1 Kings chapter 8. Um, If you're technically minded, you might like to turn on your Bibles. If you've downloaded the app, version, find events, switch on location services and you'll be able to follow all the texts, write your own hi- uh, make your own highlights and write notes for you to look through and uh, pursue later uh, for personal reflection or in life groups later on as well. So you're more than welcome to do that. Make sure you save it if you do that. There's, when, we, when we first get married... Um, there's one thing that will be the most divisive issue in any marriage. And it's not which way the toilet paper goes. Uh, money's pretty can be fairly divisive when we think about uh, the nature of um, money and how we like using money, spending money or saving money. I've actually got a working book title about marriage. It's called Six Plus Two Equals One because you're bringing a number of different ideas each and then you're going to make one kind of marriage out of it. Um, So that's my working title, look out for that, in stores near you, never probably. Um, So, but there's actually issues that are more divisive than that. Uh, Raising children can cause division in marriage. What we think, what we believe, what we've brought, raising children Uh, can be quite divisive in a marriage. Um, The kind of food that we like to eat and the kind of food that we expect to be cooked for us, how a meal should be prepared or not prepared, what time the meal should be prepared, who does the washing, who does the mowing, all these things can be divisive, but there is one more divisive issue than all of that and it's navigation. And the mere fact that you're all laughing, you completely understand. When Andrew and I first moved to Melbourne, uh, we had what was called a Melway. Now, for all of you young ones out there, this was actually in a book form where you actually had to turn the pages. Who had a Melway in their car? Who had a Melways in their car? There's no such thing as a Melways. It's a Melway. Um, You can actually download this now, I don't know. But So uh, when we first moved, um, I would uh, look on the map, I would go through and turn the pages, so you can see up the top there, it's map 44, and then on the right-hand side it says joins map 45, you'd turn the page and you'd follow Victoria Street down through there, becomes Barker's Road through Hawthorne, and you could follow along and you keep turning the pages. Now when we first moved there, I would prepare because I would do most of the driving in Melbourne because, well, that was safer for all of us, quite frankly. Um, But um, So I would prepare and I would 
I would look through and I would turn the pages and I'd make sure I know where I was going now. And then that would mean that I would ask Andrea to hold the Melway on her lap and just turn the pages when I tell her to. And then I would occasionally steal glances and it got slightly frustrating when Andrea started turning the book around. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about here? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, righto. Okay. Now, see, all you young ones are not understanding this because you're using navmans and smartphones and all those kind of things, all right? Now, what I did learn in this is that the best way to do this was actually to sit down with Andrea and show her the way they're going and then I'll just look at the road and she can do what she likes over there. Um, and then she can direct me. We kind of found our way mostly around Melbourne, didn't we? Um, we, we did okay. I've, I'd learned that it was better if I showed Andrea where we wanted to go and then she managed the map. See, we, we travel often with a destination in, in mind. Uh, we imagine what it looks like to travel there and we imagine what it might look like when we have arrived as well. And certainly it's made easier with smartphones and navmen, although we can be misdirected on occasion. I've heard of a few people who have had their smartphones or the navigational systems and they've kind of directed them to a, a dead end or to a cliff edge. And you go, it's oh, a bit concerning, isn't it? Um, so it's, it's really quite frightening. But despite our plans as well, Unexpected things happen. Roadworks come up. Detours happen. Children spew up. Um, children need to go to the toilet three minutes after you've just passed the last town. Um, all those things, distractions come up. Ruby's pointing at Lily um, about that last one. I'm in trouble twice now. Um, that's okay. So we've, we've got this journey. We've got this movement from here to there that is uh, planned and thoughtful and, and thought out, but uh, it can be tough to find our way sometimes. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring this journey into something new. What does that look like? How is it expressed? Uh, we've, as we move into new facilities, as we think about moving into new facilities, today we're actually meant to be the journey into and what that looks like when we arrive. We'll let you know. Um, but... That there's so much more than just moving into new facilities or building. This is actually a journey into God's unfolding story. And if you're new here or if you're not sure about faith, if you're not sure about God, if you're not sure about who Jesus is, we really want to welcome you. Thanks for coming out and thanks for having the courage to come into this place because it can seem a bit odd and a bit out of place. And there's some things that we hear that are weird and that's all okay. Because this is about making a journey into something new that is not yet fully revealed to us. And God is inviting us into his story and to be a part of his story. We've been learning from the people of Israel as they've journeyed into freedom out of slavery. But this isn't just about an historical people or a people thousands of years ago. This is actually a journey that you and I are invited into. Because I, I dare to suggest to you today that many of us are stuck in a place that we don't know how to get out of slavery. Or we feel like we're in a place that's been that way for so long that it's going to be the same. And even when we do plan, even when we do shift out of it, we kind of bring some of that stuff for, with us. Let me try and explain it like this. Um, uh, Paul, if you just come and stand up here for me, mate, that'd be great. Thank you very much. G'day. How you going? This is Paul. For the sake of this conversation, Paul is here. All right, you're here? Yeah. All right. Now, let's imagine that Paul wants to go over there. 
All right, so Pam, if you stand up for me. This is Pam, everyone. Say hello, Pam. Now, Pam, you're there. So Paul's here. Pam's there. Now, should someone want to travel from here to there, they've got to take some moves, don't they? They've got to step somewhere, don't they? Um, Steve. Now, if Steve wanted to travel from here to there, he has to move. So he moves. Yeah, that's all right. You can move there. And every now and then he gets bumped out of the way. <laughs> all right, so he's got to keep his vision. Just hold there. All right. But he's still got there in mind, hasn't he? Now, he knows where he's come from. This is still in his mind. All right, this has been home. Here has been home. Now, he's got bumped out of his way. Now, he eventually makes it to there. Now, he's got a choice when he's there. He's got a choice because his there has become his new here. You follow me? Now, the problem with being there is that also we can bring everything that we thought we had here and everything that we thought we'd left behind, we can bring here to there as well. And all the junk, all the slavery, we can bring all this stuff with us. And so despite the fact that we've moved and we might have moved physically, we might have moved emotionally, we might have even moved spiritually, we can still be overwhelmed with everything that we once experienced in our old here. Old thought patterns, old emotions, even things that have been spoken over us as families. And we think we've grown up, we've matured, we've moved to the new there, but somehow our here, our old here, has come with us. And despite things around us changing, we're still here. <laughs> Thanks very much. Appreciate that. Does that make sense to you? Yep. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Um, see, the problem, the problem often is the distance in between here to there, especially when we have an idea or an assumption of what we might imagine it would be like. So um, a few years ago, our family decided that we'd have kind of a, a big holiday together. We'd do something a bit different than what we normally do. We normally took the caravan away. We thought we'd actually lash out and stay in a motel for a week. Uh, we searched around for a motel or a reasonable accommodation during September school holidays. We went to the show. Um, we did a whole heap of stuff around Melbourne that we normally didn't do. Caught trams all the time. Uh, it was a really good week, which could have been um, undone because we showed up to the motel expectant and hopeful about what that would look like, only to find dirty towels thrown in the cupboard and tissues on the carpet still. <laughs> I just have to swallow again the reflux that's coming back up at the thought of it. Expectations can derail. Now, that's part of the story, but when the junk and the ugliness and the dirt becomes, it's, it's part of the story, that's a reality. But if I told you that we went away to Melbourne and all I told you was there were dirty tissues and dirty towels in the motel room that we paid good money for, I've actually missed out on the greatest story, haven't I? And it's actually not the full story. And this is what happens when we're talking about our journey into or we're talking about moving out of what used to be here into a new there. 
The distractions and detours might shape part of the story, but they are not the story. So I want to read to you today a part of an historical text. It's part of history. It's part of what was recorded as history in Israel. Some of it doesn't make sense to us because it's so long ago and um, so far out of our context as well. Uh, It's actually a text when the temple is first completed. The temple that God had promised, that God had been working towards, that David thought he was going to build, King David thought he was going to build, his son Solomon ends up building it. Now understand this, we've talked about the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, out of slavery. How long were they in slavery for? Anyone remember? 430 years they were in slavery. They called out of slavery, they move out of slavery, and then it's some 480 years later, this historical text. So we've journeyed with the people of Israel right through this. It's 480 years, and you can look that up in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Israel can finally say that they have a home to worship. They feel a sense of safety. They're establishing themselves as a nation again. Now hear this. Some of us feel like we've been waiting And some of us have been waiting for God to reveal himself. Some of us have been waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Some of us have been waiting for God to bring healing. Some of us have been waiting and praying for children to come to faith or return to faith. And we feel like we've been journeying from here to there for two years, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years. Hear this. If you don't hear anything else, take this as a gift today, that God has not forgotten you. Nor has he turned a blind eye, nor is he deaf to your cries. This is the whole thing about the journey that we've promised. God sees his his people, he sees their suffering, he hears their cries and he's concerned for their suffering. And he has come down to rescue us. So 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 10 following. When the priests... Withdrew, they stepped into the temple, they've built it, gold, fantastic material, all sorts of incredible things in this temple. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Oh, man, what would it look like if we actually showed up to this place and got really excited about anticipating that kind of experience, not knowing what it looks like, (laughs) not putting our expectations on it, but a desire to encounter the glory of the Lord. Not a desire to encounter what we think needs to happen, how we think it needs to happen, but to encounter the glory of the Lord. And then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and he blessed them. And then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt... I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, 
you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. 480 years since they'd come out of Egypt. I can't imagine 480 years. I can't imagine the 430 years in slavery. I can't imagine the years of the story unfolded since God called Abram that first time in a way that had never been done before and said, Abram, I am calling you out of here to go there, which is a place that I am yet to reveal to you. And if you are faithful to me, Abram, if you will follow my ways, I will make you, I will bless you, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the nations. That, that's much bigger than Abram had ever encountered. A tribal people, a tribe of people who understood that you stayed in your tribe, being called out of that. This is unheard of. This is God's redemption beginning at work. But the temple, so we need to understand that the temple was never meant to be about arriving or the final destination. Solomon goes on, uh, and this is an incredible text. This is a beautiful text because every time I read this prayer, every time I read this blessing, I discover and I hear again, I'm overwhelmed by the sense of God's faithfulness in a time and in a way of expression that I struggle to comprehend. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. We would do well to remember that. Will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. So this is not a place of final destination. This is not a place of final arrival. This is a place that's meant to express so much more. And if you wanted to go through, you can read through 1 Kings chapter 8 and I'd really uh, encourage you to do that. And if you wanted a summary of it, it would be go along the lines of this. When the people wrong you, God, when the people wrong one another, when the people sin against you, when the people are defeated by an enemy, when there is no rain, when there is famine or plague, when we are called to stand against our enemies, when foreigners seek you out, when people are without hope, without, without any sense of future, God, may people, may the nations turn to this place and see your glory. That is an outstanding kind of concept. That the temple, and not only the temple, but the expression of what was meant to happen out of that, because of that, was meant to reveal more of God's glory. It was meant to reveal the promises of God. It was meant to remind the people of God's faithfulness from so long ago that he has not forgotten and he continues to lead his people on. And he gets to the conclusion of the prayer and he says, May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you for you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, sovereign Lord, brought our ancestors out of Egypt. We remember 
where we have come from. We remember where we have come from. We remember where we have come from because when we remember where we have come from, we remember what God has done in the movement to a new place. The temple serves people. The people are never called to serve the temple. And God's people are still called to be a blessing to the nation. And it's about what the building represents, what it gives witness to, an expression of God's heart to restore all things. It's witness to God's faithfulness, not just to establish a temple, a place, um, a building, but to establish and invite people to express and live out of his kingdom, to know his kingdom heart, to know his healing, to know that he has come. See, as we move into new facilities, we must have a heart and mind of Jesus. It's really easy to be overwhelmed by things that we've made. And in the, in the process, we lose sight of the one who has created heaven and earth. So it's not about the building. While we wait for it, while we get frustrated by it, while we hope for it, while we look forward to all that will come and all the opportunities, it's actually been created and since ever to be a witness. And not just the building on its own, but the people who come and celebrate and find healing and hope and mercy and salvation and reconciliation and forgiveness who are invited into God's expression of love to join and partner with him in building his kingdom. And the kingdom is not the temple. Are you capturing this or not? See, Jesus certainly uses the temple. I think sometimes we can lose sight of uh, the significance uh, that the temple played in Jesus' ministry. Um, and I think it's something we do need to be careful of. But Jesus certainly used the temple and reshaped what had become traditions of the temple. The temple had become a place of status, a place of power, a place of oppression. And Jesus uses the synagogue or the temple to, for its proper purpose. It's about proclaiming God's kingdom purposes. In Matthew chapter 12, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious rulers of the time, saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. This is not what we do. This is not how we have done it. And Jesus answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." See, religious leaders were making it about themselves and were making it about protecting whatever it is that they'd built. Jesus goes on from that place and he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
Now, according to their mindset, according to their law, no, it wasn't. According to understanding of what God was doing and what Jesus was doing as the one who reveals the fullness of God, that God sees his people, hears his people, is concerned for their suffering, and he has come down to rescue them, yes. So Jesus uses the temple and he uses the synagogue to journey into a new land, from sin to freedom, from death to life, from here to there, and, is in, and we're invited to keep God's vision to see his kingdom established and to continue to be a blessing to the nations. And when we think we have arrived, when we think we have arrived, we lose sight of God's promises and God's call to make all things new. And we stand here today at Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Easter, the Sunday where uh, traditionally people have celebrated the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we've kind of skipped over it and uh, we've actually gone a long way back before this. But I want you to understand, uh, I guess, the, the tension that Jesus creates here. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. When we make it about arriving according to our own mindset, according to what we think we achieve, we've missed the point. When we think arriving is about our own expectations, When we think arriving is perhaps still being back here and this is the way it needs to be, we're missing out on so much more that God's got for us. And we see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, when Jesus had cried, he was on the cross, he'd been crucified. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it was pointed out to me that this curtain was so significant, so huge, that the tear, the tearing of the temple curtain could not happen by a human hand. So when you see top to bottom, it's actually, um, people would argue, scholars would argue, this is actually the hand of God that has torn that temple curtain. This temple curtain that was meant to be a sacred place, a place where we identify with God. And again, God has heard the cries of his people. He has seen their misery. He has concerned for their suffering. And he has torn the curtain from top to bottom. And he has stepped into and he's come down to rescue his people. Just in closing, Colossians 1, 15. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That work is completed. And the decision that you and I have is whether we are willing to journey out of here into there, from death to life, slavery to freedom, hopeless to hopeful, 
See, the greater gift is in the person of Jesus, who has revealed the heart of the Father. Jesus set his vision towards Jerusalem. And he knew very well that he would be crucified. He knew very well that he would be hanging on that cross. I've heard this described as non-violent redemption. When so much of our world is looking for redemption through violence, the message of Jesus is one that says that's enough. There's only one way this is going to stop. And it's when we stop thinking that we have to have all the answers. It's when we stop thinking we need to arrive somewhere. It's when we stop thinking we're the creators of whatever we're doing. It's when we learn to trust in the ways of God revealed fully through Jesus. And you might be powering through life and you don't even know you're dying. And Jesus invites us to journey into new life with him. You might be struggled and overwhelmed and you know very well that you're dying. And life is just hard and nothing seems to shift and Jesus makes the offer and says, why don't you journey into new life with me? Why don't you take my ways upon you? Why don't you learn from me? Stop thinking that you need to be in a place where you've arrived. Stop thinking where you need to have it under control. Stop thinking where you need to live by other people's expectations. Give up the things that other people have done to hurt you and follow me. Father, we want to thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to journey into a new life. We want to honour you and declare your praise and your glory. We want to give you thanks for the, for the witnesses who have gone before us. We give you thanks for your faithfulness um, that's led to that place that has endured so much more than 480 years. And God, for people who sit here right now and overwhelmed with the years that they've been suffering and hurting and questioning, Father, I pray that you would reveal your glory into their hearts and minds, that you bring new life, that you'd bring freedom today. Holy Spirit, minister your grace and your goodness, your healing. May we know that your kingdom has no end. That you continue to invite us to journey with you into new life. In the name of Jesus.